The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to the 13th Psalm. Uh, If you don't have a Bible or an app with you, uh, the verses will be on the screen. Uh, If you want a Bible, we have those for free if you don't have one. Uh, So you can see someone with a Here to Help badge after service, see an usher or someone back in the lounge. We have lots of Bibles, and if you need one, we want you to have one. So uh, that's our gift to you. Uh, So this is going to be the last psalm that we study together this time around, and uh, we will pick back up from here. Uh, We'll start in Psalm 14 sometime in the future as the Lord leads. Um, As roughly half the psalms are, This psalm was written by David, and as many of the psalms have over the last few weeks that we've studied together, this psalm begins with uh, lamenting, but it ends with a declaration of confidence in God's good character. So we're going to read Psalm 13 together, just six verses, and we're going to work through it together. All right? Psalm 13, verse 1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice When I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Praise God for his word. Uh, Let's jump back up to verses one and two. Starting there, um, there is a prominent principle to be drawn out of these psalms that include lamenting. So I would put that this, this week and some of the ones we've been in recently. We've seen this principle before, we've mentioned it before, but it's really worth repeating and reinforcing, especially as a capstone kind of to this session in the Psalms. Here's the principle. It is okay to tell the truth about how you feel. It's okay to tell the truth about how you feel. Now, there are those, I've heard it taught, there are those that teach uh, it is a lack of faith to talk like this. So the way David's talking, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? Uh, how long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel of my soul? Right. So there's these questions of God born out of an anguish, a struggle, a difficulty. And there are those that would say to, to say that out loud is, is, is a lack of faith or something you shouldn't do. That's really interesting, though, <laughs> because this psalm was written for the purpose of being sung by an assembled group of God's people. And so if it was sinful or wrong or lack of faith to speak the way David's speaking in this psalm, Why would we have songs included in the scripture meant for congregational worship where those exact words are being sang, okay? And if if, let's think about it for a second. This is really brilliant that that a worship song includes this, right? Because if we, just think about this, if we sang this together today, all right, we're not going to do that because I have the microphone, so just, you're going to have to use your imagination. I'm not going to lead a sing song. But let's just, just imagine we sang Psalm 13 together as congregational worship. There would be three types of people in the room singing it. There would be those who are struggling this way right now. There would be those that right now can relate deeply to David's question, How long, Lord, are you going to hide from me forever? They're in the midst of a dark struggle, and, and God seems distant to them. So there's, there would be those that are struggling that way right now. There would be those in the room who have struggled that way at some point. And there would also be those... Uh, who are going to struggle in this way. And so what did I do in, in doing that? I'm saying there's three types of people because the reality is it, it is it is invariable that if you're going to walk with Jesus and you're going to serve the Lord, there's going to be times and seasons where if, if for no other reason than your perception is off, God is going to seem distant. And so it's not... Uh, and as we go on here, we'll see that in, in the midst of singing this song, David is saying this is how it feels, but he also, as he goes through, is going to acknowledge and ask for help with the fact that how it feels maybe doesn't really line up with reality and what he knows about God. So I just think it's, it's brilliant to, to sing this because 
Imagine you're not the person, I mean, the person that's struggling with it right in that moment, of course that's going to resonate with them, but let's say it's somebody who, who has struggled that way in the past, to, to, to be reminded of the fact that there is this tendency in us to either distance ourselves from God and think He's doing it, or just uh, for, for the kind of that, that, that haze and that fog that, that comes and settles in times of difficulty that makes it hard to see or perceive uh, that God is moving. Um, it's, it's just helpful for us to acknowledge this is there, and this happens, um, and, and it definitely is right for us to tell the truth when we feel that way, because sometimes, listen, singing this to God or praying something like this to God, like, Lord, I'm struggling. It doesn't seem like you hear me. I don't, I don't feel like you're answering my prayers. I, I don't feel a, a close proximity to you. Talking to him about that, sometimes the benefit, you're not giving God any info, right? Like, we know that God already knows where you're at. He knows better where you're at than you do. I hope you're encouraged by that. I am. Because sometimes I don't have as good of a bead on where I'm at as I think I do, right? Sometimes introspection is difficult for us. So I know God knows right where I'm at. I'm not cluing him in. But sometimes to speak truthfully about how something feels is good for me. It's good for me to hear it come out of my own mouth and acknowledge, hey, this is what my struggle looks like right now. And this, is, this difficulty is, is real uh, and so there's, there's benefit to that. So there's, there's, God's not afraid of your honesty. Uh, the truth is, God knows that we are prone to struggle with his timing, and he addresses it throughout his word. I'm going to give you an example. This is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We have to remember that we have an inherently tiny timeline in comparison to God's, right? We measure time in terms of days and months and years. God has been patiently working his plan of redemption for eternity, we prefer to measure time in minutes, right, rather than months, especially when it comes to, Lord, I need something. <laughs> I could use some help. We're, we're watching the, 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 the long hand on the clock tick. You, we don't even have any of those clocks around anymore. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, you're watching it flip over on your iWatch or whatever it is. But the bottom line is we're, you know, we're, we're feeling the agony of the minutes go by as we're struggling. The Ancient of Days measures time by millennia. And so he is working a plan. He is not slow as some count slowness. He's patient and he's doing something. And so just grabbing a hold of that truth will help us in the midst of, of struggles of impatience and struggles of seeming like it's hard for us to, you know, because that's what David's going through, right? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever, right? Because he's in the middle of what seems like real life and death danger. Minutes are long when you're struggling, can, can you say amen to that? Is, am I the only one that's noticed that time tends to creep when I'm in the middle of a hard season? Yes. God's not unaware of that. He's addressed it in his word. He gave us these verses, and, and, and I'm going to submit to you that there's some examples. Part of the story of redemption he's told through the scriptures should help us to see ourselves in it and to understand that even when it, when it looks like, feels like God's uh, distant or not moving or our patience is being tested, uh, we, we can be confident that God is doing something, that he's aware and he's moving because uh, he's promised that he will. Consider this with me. Abram was 75 years old when God first promised him uh, that he would have an heir, right? And then he promised that through that heir would come a great nation. And through that great nation, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. Okay, so if you keep kind of rolling through Genesis, roughly 11 years later, they get impatient his wife mostly, and they hatch a plan which involves Abram sleeping with a female servant to circumvent his wife's barrenness, right? They're, they're frustrated. They're thinking Eleazar, their servant's going to have to inherit everything. They don't have a son. God promised a son. Where is God at? It's been 11 years, right? And sometimes we're reading the Bible and it's like, you know, okay, 11 years and then this thing happened, this thing happened. Can you put 11 years over the grid of your life and really think about that for a second? That's some time, 11 years, and then they come up with this plan. So Abram does it, right? Sleeps with the female servant. It ends up being a disaster. It doesn't go well. Then about 
11, 12, 13 more years, at the age of 99, almost 25 years. So he's 75 when God said, come here, I'm gonna t- let me tell you something. I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and the whole earth's going to be blessed through your seed. He's 75. At 99, 24, 25 years later, right. So again, you're reading the Old Testament. There's big time spans. You're like, yeah, yeah, 25 years. Put 25 years over the grid of your life. Think about that in terms of you waiting 25 years for something. 25 years later, after the promise of God was made, Isaac is born. 25 years of waiting. During this time, naturally speaking, the chances went from slim to none of these two conceiving a child. You guys understand basic biology, right? 75-year-old guy, real low chance. 99-year-old guy, we're down to zero, right? So naturally, over the time span that they're waiting for this promise to be fulfilled, the chances of it happening naturally go from slim to none. It came to a point where the only chance they had of seeing this promise of God fulfilled was a miracle. They didn't know this, but the wait was as much a part of the plan as the promise. The wait was as much a part of the plan as the promise. Because God needed them to be in that exact spot of understanding that there was no chance whatsoever this was some fluke biological thing, right? They needed to know. God intervened. And so when 99-year-old Abram and 89-year-old Sarah uh, conceive a child, we see the fullness of God's promise come into fruition. They didn't know that the wait was as much a part of the plan as the promise. Paul picks up on this, and he actually speaks to it directly. You may not be convinced that that's ironclad. Paul thinks it is. Let me read this to you. This is Romans 4, verses 20 through 21. He is speaking of Abraham here. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. You see, here it says Abraham grew strong in his faith during the wait. God was doing something during those 25 years. As he, and do you think there was anguish in that? Do you think that 25 years was difficult? No heir, no son in a patriarchal society. And, and, then, and then kind of adding insult to injury, God gives him this promise that I'm going to do this big thing with your family. And so that almost makes it more of kind of a, a grind, right? Where is this child? Where is this son of promise? Absolutely, it was difficult. But what Paul says was happening during that process, and what I think you can pull out of that story if you really read it, is obviously God waited till he was 99 for some reason. It was because he was doing something with him. From 75 to 99, God was doing something. And it wasn't, it wasn't just an arbitrary number. It wasn't just God was busy doing something else and got back around to bringing Isaac on the scene when he had time. It was very intentional. It was purposeful. And it was as important as the promise being fulfilled because Abraham, the reason Isaac was going to be the son of promise by which all of the nations were going to be blessed is because Abraham had a covenant with God. He is the father of our faith. He's the first one that believed God and was counted righteous for it, which is the same reason you and I are counted righteous today if we put trust and faith in Christ. He blazed the trail of trusting God by faith and being made righteous because of it. And part of how he grabbed a hold of that was learning how to trust God and be patient from 75 to 99, (laughs) waiting on that son. We can take comfort in the fact that God deals mercifully with our lack of patience, the same way he does with our failures, all of our failures and frailties. But that doesn't mean we settle into the sin. Right? We can be very, very thankful, and I am, that God is merciful and patient with my impatience, um, and that he deals mercifully with all of the places where I am, I am less than perfect. But it, just because I'm thankful for his mercy, and it doesn't mean I just settle down into it, well, I know God will be merciful with me about that, so I'll just continue to be impatient. No, man, there's, it, it's, there's sin there, and it's, it's got destructive power, and so we've got to deal with it acknowledging our difficulty with God's timing. So just saying, yes, sometimes I struggle with the fact that God's on a different timetable than me, most of the time. 
And our tendency for impatience is not enough to address it. So just acknowledging it is not enough to address it. David's third how long here reveals one reason that the feeling of God forgetting him or hiding from him was difficult to shake. And so we've, we've talked about the problem. Now we're going to start to see some of the solution. What's the third how long that I'm talking about here? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all day? David was taking counsel in his soul, he says, and thus having sorrow in his heart all the day long. That sounds like a pretty big bummer. What this means is that David was looking down into himself for the answers, and he was trying to walk through his struggles alone, which is about as effective as a one-man football team. Which, And I'm glad some of you laughed because some of you, you're pictorial in your thinking. And so instantly you went to the idea of somebody trying to snap the ball to themselves, then pass the ball to themselves. And then what, and if you know anything about football, they didn't get that far because they just got smashed, right? Like it's already, it plays over. A one-man a one football team doesn't work. And, and, and why doesn't it work? Not only is it a silly image in your mind to even tr- think about someone trying, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's really f- comical. Here's why it doesn't work. It's not how the game is meant to be played. It is equally ridiculous for a follower of Christ to try to do this thing alone. It is equally comical to try to deal with times of difficulty and struggle, to just take counsel within yourself and and, and kind of turn inward as it is for someone to try to be the the whole O-line, the running back, the quarterback, and the kicker doesn't work. Some people have tried, and you can run around ragged and make, maybe make it through a couple of plays, but you're going to end up busted up, exhausted, and humiliated. The, and the outcome's always the same. What is God's prescription? What, what is it supposed to look like instead? I'm going to read 1 John 1, 7 to you. It says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, if we walk in the light as he, Jesus, himself is in the light, here's what will happen. We have fellowship with one another, And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we're going to have fellowship with one another. One of the implications of walking with God, one of the implications of being made a son or daughter of God, is that we're actually a part of the family of God. And what that means is no longer do we run around doing the Lone Ranger solo, I'm the quarterback and the kicker and the running back. It's it's not how it works. It's not how this thing was set up. And when you try... You're going to be frustrated. When you try, you're going to want to sing a song about how long, Lord, (laughs) will this and this and this and this. It's going to look that way. It's going to feel that way. And to some degree, if you're trying to do it on your own, it it, it may really be that way. It's, it's, It's a bad deal. Based on the flow of this psalm, the first way we're going to mention to address feelings of abandonment by God uh, or our tendency for impatience with his timing the first thing we're going to say is, is to allow others in to help us. That's, that's one way to address it, right? We said acknowledging that uh, sometimes we're impatient with God's timing, sometimes it feels like God's not there, that buying into these kind of lies, uh, acknowledging that as a sinful tendency is not enough. We have to address it. How do we address it? The first way is let other people in. Let people into the process. It's the way it's supposed to go. It's what it's designed for. It's how it's supposed to look. Uh, if you insist on having a council meeting with just me, myself, and I, you will incre- increase your sorrow exponentially, and you will have a harder time than you have to. That's true all the way across the board. You're just going to have to decide whether you buy that or not. Some of you don't need much coaxing because you've done the solo thing enough. You've done the, I'm going to turn inward when I'm struggling. Uh, you've done the, I'm strong enough to carry this myself. You've done the, uh, if I'm honest, people are going to think I'm weak. You've, you've, play, you've tried to play the game that way, and you've found out you end up crushed, exhausted, uh, humiliated, and broken, uh, and wanting to sing Psalm 13. And so my encouragement to you, friend, is if maybe, maybe you haven't had enough experience doing it that way to realize how destructive it is, would you please save yourself some pain? Talk to a few of us that have, okay? I'm serious, because it's no fun. You're not made to function that way. That's not the way Christianity is supposed to work. It, it only goes bad. 
The next remedy we see to feeling like God has abandoned us, um, or for, for us being impatient with his timing, so remedy number one is bring, bring people in. Let them in um, to help you. The second is, is pretty deep and profound, and so I want to make sure that you guys have a, have a way to write this down so you can refer back to it later, because this is probably something you've not heard before. This is deep. Are you ready? Here we go. Ask for God's help. Did you get that? You, you want to say it again? Write it down quick. You need that. Ask for God's help. I know that this sounds, this, this, is, this, is, this is brand new stuff. I'm going to write a book and sell it. We've got to ask for God's help. And that's what we see David start to do, that the psalm takes a turn as it hits verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. So what is, what is David doing? Here David acknowledges a deficiency in his perspective, and he asks God to help him see things correctly, right? He says, enlighten my eyes. There's something wrong with the way I'm seeing this. Or I'm going to sleep the sleep of death. He knows there's a problem. He starts out, this is the way it looks. This is the way it feels. But, but then he begins to turn to the solution. God, help me. I need your help. I'm not getting it done. I'm struggling. I'm not seeing it right. Help me to see it right. Help fix my eyes. The Apostle Paul knew the importance of having our eyes enlightened by the Lord. This is a prayer that he prayed uh, as, as he was talking to the Ephesians, greeting them in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, I thank God for you all the time. You're always on my heart and mind. And I pray this over you all the time. This was a prayer that Paul would pray over the churches that he was a part of planting and the people of God that he loved. This is the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Do you think Psalm 13 was on Paul's mind as he was praying this? Probably. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. That was Paul's prayer over the Christians that he knew and loved, the churches that he was a part of planting. Here's, here's part of what I, what I see in this, and I think something that will help us if we understand. I think we miss it often. Patience is as much about trusting God's character as it is trusting God's timing. Patience is as much about trusting God's character as it is trusting God's timing. How do I see that? If you go through Paul's prayer here, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in what? In the knowledge of him. See, because if you know him, if you know his character, if you know his promises, if you know that he is good, if you know that his intentions towards you are good, if you know that he is mighty and well able to do all that he has said, and even more, so far as to say uh, elsewhere, he can do far more than we can even ask or think, more, immeasurably more than we can ask or think. That's Ephesians 3.20. Your God is powerful. Your God is good. Your God is loving. Your God is faithful. If you, are, if you have the wisdom and the knowledge, the revelation of who God is, it helps you to be patient with the parts of his timing you don't understand. If you're wondering why Spurgeon's been quoted so much through the Psalms thing, because Spurgeon's Spurgeon's commentary on the Psalms is the probably most enduring and prolific work. God anointed him in his time to, to write something in the Psalms that would help the rest of the church forever. So that's, we're not like Spurgeon fanboys, but he, he's got a lot of, of revelation about this book in particular. But this, this quote is, is widely known. You've probably heard it before, but Spurgeon is known to have said this. You can't always trace the hand of God, and when you can't, you should trace the heart of God. What does he mean when he says that? Sometimes, friend, you're not going to be able to see what God's doing. Sometimes you won't be able to see his hand moving. Sometimes you're going to be like Abram between 75 and 99, and you're not going to know exactly what's going on, and you're not going to be able to point to, that's what he means by trace, you're not going to be able to take your finger and trace the line of exactly all that God's doing. But God was doing something between 75 and 99. God is doing something in every part of your life that you're not sure about. But if you can trace his heart, if you can go back and put your finger on what you know about his character, what he's promised and who he is. You can take comfort and you can be patient. Praise God. We got we to gotta know him and that'll help us to be patient when his timing doesn't line up with ours, which is 
probably all the time, if we're honest, right? Because we'd like it faster. Because we like microwaves and, and, and Taco Bell. And I'm with you. I'm not throwing that on you. I'll eat a Chulupa as fast as anybody else. So don't, I'm not, trust me, I'm not judging you, all right? I mean, I will judge you if I need to judge you. I'm, let's not get that mixed up. But we're in the household of faith, man. That's real talk. But have a Chalupa right after this. Go do it. You got my blessing. Not that you needed it. All right. Uh, <laughs> we need the Holy Spirit to enlighten our eyes to the wisdom and knowledge of who God is and what he's promised. We need, we need our eyes enlightened to the hope of our calling. It's another part of what Paul prays here. God, may they understand the hope of their calling. May your people understand what it means to be called by you, to be a part of your redemptive plan in the earth. To understand that we are a part of something God has been doing forever. That we're a part of what God was doing with Abraham and Sarah in the desert, right? We're connected to that. And when we, when we take and we can widen the span of our vision outside of the little box of our life and we can see that we're a part of what God has been doing forever, it can help us to, for our timeline to get a little wider, for us to have a little more patience and trust in the good workings of our King. The hope of our calling. What we're a part of. we got to know that. Um, and the last thing is in His power toward us who believe. I kind of wrung that out unintentionally. God is powerful. Do you understand why that can help you be patient with this timing? Whatever's going on that you wish was different right now, here's one thing. I take this to the bank. I guarantee you, it hasn't something. If you're looking for something to happen, or you're looking for something to stop happening, whatever it is, if that if that thing hasn't come to fruition, there is one thing I am sure is not the cause. It is not a lack of power on God's part. I'm 100% sure about that. God wasn't storing up power so that he could really exert himself so that Isaac could come at 99. It wasn't when Abraham was 90, God was you know, trying to power up like Yu-Gi-Oh! or one of these other little Japanime cartoons. No, God has all the power he needs all the time. Omnipotent. Totally, completely, always. You can't, you can't tax him. God is powerful. God is working. God is in the midst of the situation. He hasn't forgotten you, friend. He hasn't turned his face away from you. And he is working something in you while you wait. And friend, just like it was true for Abraham and Sarah, this wait that you're in, whatever you're believing for, the wait is as important as you get in the thing that you're hoping for. As the promise being fulfilled. Things are being, things are being done in you by the Spirit of God that can't be done any way other than you trusting God and patiently waiting for Him to deliver. You going to buy that one? I'm selling it. Full price. There's, there's things that can't happen in you, cultivated in you, character built in you, strength. That's what Paul said in Romans about Abraham, didn't he? He grew strong from 75 to 99, waiting on God. Something happened in that time period that couldn't have happened any other way. Trusting God by faith with spirit-empowered patience. It's glorious. I know you're not excited about a sermon on patience. It's not my fault. This is just the psalm we're at. It's Psalm 13. It's not my problem. Hallelujah. I am excited about it because I know I need more patience. I'll just, I'll just go ahead and say it since you won't. I need more patience because I get in trouble sometimes. I mess my life up sometimes. I cause problems for myself with my lack of patience. Well, God, if you're not going to let me get in here, no. buddy, better slow down. We already know how that goes. I've tried it that way before. No bueno. According to Galatians 5, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And that means without the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, we will continue. Let me just say this. So I'm saying a lot of things to you, and I'm, 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 I'm laying out this this uh, case for the importance of, of patience, the sinfulness of impatience, the fact that God works in the midst of waiting. I'm laying this case out for you. And, and, but what we can't, the mistake we can't make is for you to go, okay, yeah, like, okay, that makes sense, that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with all that. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be more patient, right? And just bear down on it and white knuckle it. That's, that's so dumb. You can't do it. You can't do it, friend. According to Galatians 5, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. 
And that means without the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, we will continue in the twin sins of distrust and impatience. We will. Without the Spirit of God, we will distrust God's goodness, His character, and we will be impatient. I'd go so far as to say spoiled brats most of the time. Very self-focused. Very inwardly appointed with, with our thoughts and with our efforts. David rightly points out at the end of verse 3, these sins, these twin sins of distrust of God and impatience, they lead to death and destruction. What does he say? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes. Help me to see all of these things we just talked about, Lord. Let me see it the way you see it. Or, I'm going to sleep the sleep of death. I'm going to go down. If I don't get this right, I realize something's skewed in my perspective because I'm, I'm, I'm believing you're far away. I'm believing that you're not worthy of trust. I'm believing that you've, you've abandoned me. Lord, help me see this right. Help me see that you're, you're working in the midst of this. My timeline's not like yours. Lord, help me to remember that you're not slow as some count slowness, but you're patient because you're working on something and that you've got me in between and you'll sustain me up and until the point where I see your deliverance. Help me to see that, Lord, because if I don't, I'm going to sleep the sleep of death. Death's going to come. Destruction's going to come. All sin leads to death, friends. That's Romans 6. We've got to see things like God sees it, and we're not going to do that without the help of His Spirit. So where does that put us? It puts us exactly where we sang about earlier. It puts us in a place of acknowledging our weakness and saying, praise God, that gives room for you to be glorified. Yes, Lord, I am weak, but you are strong, and you've promised to fill in the gap. And to rest in that and rejoice in the fact that you don't need to try to white-knuckle it, be perfect, fix it yourself. Because I, I just assume a few of us have tried that as well, and we've eaten the fruit of that. And it's rotten. That was a good place to say amen. You missed it. Amen. Verse 4 might seem like pride. Uh, it looks like David wants God to help him so he doesn't get made fun of by his enemies. kind of what it comes down to. It looks that way. It says, and my enemy will say, I've overcome him. Right? So he's, Lord, enlighten my eyes or I'm going to sleep the sleep of death. And then my enemy's going to say, I've overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. It kind of looks at face value prideful, but here's something we need to consider about the life of David. Because David was a leader over many, either when he was fleeing from Saul or when he was king over Israel, a victory for his enemies would cause devastation for those who followed him as well. And if there's something that can be said of David, this guy, imperfect, a picture of imperfection, but part of God training David as a leader was to cultivate the caring heart of a shepherd in him from a young age. How did he do that? actually made him shepherd sheep, right? I mean, he did it with Moses, too. It's very interesting how many key leaders throughout God's redemptive history took care of sheep in wilderness. But there came a point where a bear wanted to eat the sheep. What did David do? Did he run? No, man. He grabbed a hold of the bear and killed it. A lion came, wanted to eat the sheep. What did David do? Did he run? No, man. He, he grabbed the lion and he killed it. And that's... I'm not going to say that, Lord. Never mind. Let's we'll start talking about pastors today, but we're going to leave that right there. Thank you, Lord, for the filter. Pastors should be shepherds, and, and you, shouldn't, you shouldn't presume to be a leader over people if you're not willing to get in between them and a bear or a lion or whatever else may be coming against them. We'll just leave it right there. Hallelujah. David had a, he had a shepherd's heart, and so part of him worried about his enemies overtaking him is he knows if, if his enemies get him, they're going to get the people with him. They're going to hurt him. We're not totally sure if he was king when he wrote this or if he's in this, this stage where he was kind of gallivanting around, um, just having battles and conquests and stuff. But he was responsible and a shepherd over large groups of people uh, for most of his adult life. So uh, for David, these were more often than not life and death situations with physical enemies seeking destruction. That's it was, it was not like uh, they just wanted to smear his name. Many times people wanted David dead. Sometimes it was people that were supposed to even be a part of his own court. Uh, his son at one point. Um, the king that you know, he was friends with at one point. So 
he, he had a hard way as far as that's concerned. There, there are no doubt Christians throughout the world today who suffer the same danger. Uh, there are those who hate God and who hate these Christians that belong to God, and they want them dead. That, that's going on today. I, I, I assume you're aware of that. That's, that's real. Uh, and we should never stop praying for them. I just want to say that right now. There are those right now risking their life to identify with Christ. Uh, and those of us that have spare time because we're not running for our lives because we identify with Christ should spend at least some of that time praying for those that are running for their lives because they identify with Christ. You cool with that? Okay, good. But for most of you here today, you might struggle to relate to this element of urgency in David's prayer uh, because there is, right, there's unlikely an encampment of war chariots sitting at your house right now like waiting for you to come home to take you out, right? There's not a battalion of ironclad soldiers coming after you. Like, this was David's reality. For some of you, like, this, this part might be hard to relate to. However, it shouldn't be. Because if we belong to Jesus, we are not without a violent and dedicated enemy, and he is no less real than the battalions of soldiers that were trying to take David out, or the, the enemies that were trying to take him out. Here's what Ephesians 6 says about it. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Did it say imaginary specters and stuff we've made up? No. It did say they're unseen. But it says we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is as real whether it's unseen or not, doesn't make it any less real than the dangers that David was facing. So what does that mean? That means if we really thought of things as they are, we wouldn't struggle to have the urgency David has. We would understand that we need our eyes enlightened because if we don't have our eyes enlightened to the truth of God, our enemy will take us out just as quick as David's enemy would. He'll try and he'll rejoice too. He'll stand off to the side and cackle and watch us go down. I don't know about you, that ticks me off. That motivates me. The truth is we have similar stakes to David. Oftentimes we just don't know it. Track with me on this. David, part of David's care here about his enemies not getting to win over him and rejoice in his defeat is because he had people that he loved that would also go down with him. We are called as the people of God to be salt and light in the world. If we give in to lies from our enemy and become distrusting of God's character or impatient with his timing, those who have been called, those who we have been called to share the hope of the gospel with will suffer. See, David, part of his prayer here is, God, I don't, don't let my enemies win because I know what that means for the people that I'm following. For us, sometimes I think if, if our love for God and our love for people was at the radiance and the vibrance that it should be, we would not only pray prayers like this, and we would not only be concerned with where we stand as far as whether or not we're trusting God or whether or not we're being impatient with God because of the personal, potential, cataclysmic issues that it can cause for our life, we would understand that to belong to Jesus means I have a responsibility to be salt and light in the world, an ambassador, a messenger, one of the carriers of this good and perfect gospel. And if I'm over here deluded, eyes darkened, not believing in the good character of God, not able to trust with spirit-empowered patience the timing of God, and thus I'm over here crying about God's far away and I feel like I can't and this and that and all the other stuff. People are suffering. We, we may not have soldiers that serve under us. We may not be kings over uh, nations like David was, but there are people every single day, if you belong to Jesus, you, you, you got to believe this, man. There are people that God intends for you to cross paths with. And whether or not you choose that day to have this eyes-enlightened perspective that allows you to be doing what it is you were made to do, which is to be an ambassador for Christ, that's going to affect other people. Here's the question, friend. Does that bother you one bit? Do you care whether or not you're on point when you're supposed to be on point and someone else's eternity hangs in the balance? Do you care about whether or not you're ready and, and, and able to go when God says, it's your turn right now. I want you to talk to that person. I want you to love that person. I want you to help that person. Or, or are you over here believing lies that God's not good and he's far away and he didn't do this thing that I thought he should do quick enough and so I'm not sure I want to serve him anymore. 
So what happens to that person? Well, I believe God will send somebody else, but that's definitely not best case scenario. God's not going to give up on them because you're having a, you know, me day or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. However, uh, the stakes are as high for us as they are for David. That's my whole point. If we're, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world in one place, and he said, you're the light of the world in another. Woo! Do you feel the weight of that? I hope you do. You are the salt of the earth, and salt that's lost its saltiness is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled upon by men. And so many of us spend so much time, man, trying to figure out how to defeat these, these sins in our life, these things that so easily entangle us. And, and I'm telling you right now, if you, would, if you would buy into this idea that the love of God to you empowers you to then love others to the degree that you make your life about serving them and getting them the gospel, if, if, if you let that overtake you if, you, be, if, if you really take seriously the command, the call, and that's part of why Paul prayed in that prayer, let the hope of their calling let their eyes be enlightened to the hope of their calling. Because if you really got what you're called to, if you really understood how God sees you as a redeemed son or daughter, and the mission, the importance of what he's laid upon you is this holy burden to be people that share and, 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 and hold this light of the gospel in the world, if you really understood that, all throughout the Bible, sin is compared to leaven, yeast. And people are always trying to figure, okay, how do we defeat sin, right? There's seminars and books about how to defeat sin. I'll, let me help you with something. Here's how you can defeat sin. Quit thinking so much about how to defeat sin and go be salt in the world. Do you know what stops yeast from rising? Sprinkle some salt on it, man. It's done. you got to ask yourself, is, is standing in the mirror, examining all of your sinful tendencies and imperfections and then trying to come up with strategies about how to beat those is that going to be more effective than letting the burden of people's eternity and a love for them so overtake you that you get engaged in God's redemptive plan and purpose, right? And, 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 and then that's the problem, right? Some of us are, I know you're busy, but you're also to some degree bored sometimes, and it's this weird paradox. If you let yourself really be swept into what it is God's doing, man, you're not going to have as much time to sit there twiddling your thumbs and be tempted. Because you're going to be involved in the rescue mission of all rescue missions, right? Like, let's say some huge, let's say the Ohio River just flooded this crazy amount that, you know, all of Cincinnati and the surrounding area is covered in water. And you're out there, uh, you know, you, you somehow find a canoe and you're out there trying to get people, man. There's people drowning, there's people dying, but you got a canoe and you can, you can go grab some people out of the water, man, and stop them from dying. Here's, here's my question. You're out there canoeing, people are screaming in the night, help me, I'm drowning, I'm dying. Let me ask you something. Right then at that moment, are you going to go look at porn on your computer? Ooh, I wish we didn't talk about that. The statistics say there's a bunch of us in here that are tempted by that, so let's, let's just be real about it. Or pick whatever the sin is. You're you going to go to the buffet and eat too much at that moment? No, you're going to keep rowing that canoe and you're going to pull as much. I hope, unless there's something really wrong with you, you're going to keep going until the voices quit screaming, help me. See, but the problem is you don't see yourself as in a canoe in the middle of a flood when you walk out in this world every single day and there's a bunch of people dying and going to hell. But that's the reality. So would you pick up a paddle, please, and, and, and put down the mouse? Good spot to say amen. You missed it again. Is he done? I don't know. He looks angry. Just say amen. It's okay. That's a better way to get me to stop. Like if you, you guys got to learn how to do this. All right. We'll get you there. Uh, <clears throat> this line of thinking that we're talking about um, spiritual forces of darkness, and the fact that we do have an enemy. The stakes are high. We're in a battle uh, for eternal souls here and, and, and our, our own uh, well-being. We, we have an enemy. It, it has, this line of thinking has some powerful implications in our current cultural moment. Um, I don't, I don't want to sound uh, prideful in saying this. Don't misunderstand me, but I'm, there, there is some confidence behind this. There is something that would stop the ignorance and the hate and the violence unfolding in Virginia and around the world right now. There is something that would stop it. I, I'm sure of it. You know what it is? Let me ask you something. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Predator or the movie Aliens? 
Some of you are like, well, if it wasn't the Ten Commandments or the Passion of the Christ, I probably haven't seen it. Okay. <laughs> uh, bully for you. So I have seen both Predator and Aliens. Um, mostly I've seen Predator because Arnold's in it, and it's a pretty, pretty awesome movie. But anyway, so here's my point. Here's why I brought that up. You sci-fi dorks, I don't want to lose you the rest of the service, okay? I'm using this as a reference point to make a principle, okay? Don't start rehearsing all of Star Trek in your mind, okay? I know I got some of you out there. The, the Predator, right? Like the, the dreads and the arm thing and the missiles and the, the aliens, the, those are some of the most terrifying creatures that mankind's imagination has ever conjured. Agreed? I mean, they're, they're scary, man. There's been times I've motivated myself to do things pretending the predator's behind me. When I was younger. <laughs> but, let me, but just play imagine with me for a second. Let, what, what, if, what if a bunch of both of those, right? Some invasion force of aliens and predators. There was the one crossover movie, right? So they were together. So this isn't that far-fetched. Let's say an invasion force of these two teamed up and they show up and drop down, even in the middle of a situation like what's going on in Virginia right now, they drop down and they just start killing every human in sight, laying waste to them. I bet it wouldn't take long for people who were at each other's throats to be running, surviving, and fighting side by side. What does that mean? I mean, you, you can disagree with me. I'm just saying. I, even at my worst, before Christ, and I was a hateful person, if I could have been in the middle of a fight with some dude, and if Predator dropped down in between us, and that red triangle started flying around, I'd be like, bro, you and me, on him. You know what I mean? Like, we're friends now, and he's the enemy. You see what I'm saying? Here's my point. A common enemy <laughs> would, would fix many of our problems. But here's the other thing I'm saying to you, dear friend. We don't need an alien invasion to have a common enemy. Sometimes we're just too dumb to realize we already have one. His name is Satan, and he's looking to destroy every human being, regardless of culture, color, or creed. doesn't care. And he's really scarier than the predator, if you let him be. And, and the problem is oftentimes we do. I realize it's kind of an extreme example, but it's, it's not really. Because if our eyes could be enlightened to the spiritual reality around us, there are forces of darkness bent on the destruction of every woman, man, and child. That's the truth. And if we were thinking about that, it would make some of the dumb things we do a lot harder to do. Believing that others are inferior or you are superior becomes hard to focus on when you realize that we are all under attack by the same enemy. If you want to be angry, be angry that Satan gets us to destroy each other and then stands in the distance and laughs at us. See, that's David's fear here. What's he say? My adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. You want to know what makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck? I can feel it right now. To think Satan is successful in getting humans made in the image of God to hate each other and to fight each other, he gets us all stirred up and then he gets to stand off to the side. He doesn't even have to work anymore and gets to laugh at us. Are you angry? I hope you're angry. There's righteous indignation and anger is a strong emotion. Point it at something. Point it at the forces of darkness. There is a battle. There is a place for fierce, righteous indignation. There is an enemy, and he's after all of us. If we would love each other, stand together, and fight the real enemy, the world would never be the same. That's the truth. We could turn the world upside down. Would you guys join me since we're, since we're here together? We're thinking about this. Would you join your faith with mine? Can we just pray for Charlottesville quickly as a church? Let's do that. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Um, Lord, there are atrocities happening all around the globe. Uh, oftentimes we're just aware of what the news chooses to show us. But Lord, we are aware of, not too far from here, some incredible tension and hate and bigotry. Uh, people dying. People fighting. 
And Lord, we just ask um, that you would show yourself strong in that situation somehow. I, I know that even though we may not be able to trace your hand at this moment uh, about how you're working in that, I know, Lord, if we go to your heart, we trace your heart, we know that you're not unaware of all the pain there and that you haven't abdicated that situation, that you are in the midst of it working. So God, we just, by faith, we ask that you would be glorified as you work in and through the hearts of the people in that situation. God, we ask you to help us to be agents of change, that we would be champions of love, and that hate would be cast down where it belongs. Lord, please empower us to realize who the real enemy is, to never fight against flesh and blood. Thank you, God, for enlightening our eyes to see. We ask you to do that for more people. There are people in that situation right now in Charlottesville, their eyes are dim. They don't see things for what they really are. God, I ask you to humble them and bring them low so that they would cry out to you and ask for what they really need. They need their eyes changed. They need light so they can see things for what they really are. Please help, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me. Uh, verses 5 and 6, they, they give a third way for us to address false feelings and impatience. Uh, the third way is for us to rejoice and our salvation. Uh, verse 5, But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And so to some degree, we, we've already said this, but I just want to zero in on what it is we're trusting when we, when we rejoice uh, in, in our salvation and we trust in God's loving kindness. Uh, what we're talking about is the gospel. It's the pure, beautiful, perfect gospel. It's the, it's the, it's the truth, the truth, that each and every one of us are marred, stained by sin. None of us is perfect. None of us. Every single person has sinned. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we can rejoice. And here's, here's how this practically works. I don't, know, I don't know if this really resonates with you, but I'm going to ask that if it doesn't, or if you like just functionally try to put yourself emotionally into a dark day for you, like what does that look like? What, think of a day where you're having a Psalm 13 day, first half, right? Like how long, oh Lord, right? Like one of those. What, does, what happens functionally, practically, as you think about the fact that you were a wretched sinner, separated from God, dead in your sins, and that God, because of mercy and grace alone, not because of anything you've done or, or any amount of deserving on your part, saved you by grace because of his love for you. If, if in the midst of a dark day, in the midst of a first half of Psalm 13 day for you if, you, if you discipline your mind to move to that place and to really think about what you deserve and what you've gotten in Jesus, what happens? Anything? I hope something. That's part of what David is saying here. All these things are happening. My enemies are about real serious business right now. I can't even feel like, I don't even know if you're hearing me. How long are you going to hide your face from me? But I have trusted in your loving kindness. And my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. So dear friend, what I'm saying to you is this. I'm laying this before you. Salvation, the very basis of, of our faith in Christ, the way we came to the dance, that Jesus has loved us, that he lived a perfect life that we couldn't, that he died the death we should have, and that he rose from the grave. And because of that, by faith today, we can be called sons and daughters of God, that we've been grafted into the family of God by faith and mercy. That simple fact, in the midst of, of a dark time, does it resonate in such a way? I'm not saying it, it makes all the clouds part and it's perfect sunshine and rainbows, but I'm saying does, is, there an, is there something that anchors in you? Is there, a, is there an anchor point that is, that is caused in your heart by, by, by salvation alone? Can you rejoice no matter how dark it is? I don't care if the situation really is hard or you're just, you just, it just looks that way to you and you just need your eyes enlightened. Either way, can, can you do what David is saying he did? I'm going to trust in your loving kindness, and I'm going to rejoice in your salvation. What happens when you contemplate in the midst of that difficult time the good character of your God, the fact that he loves you and you don't deserve it, and the fact that he's made a way for you to be saved? Does that, is that the beginning 
of being able to pull up out of that dark mist that tends to weigh down over us in times of, of struggle. It was for him. I think it should be for all of us. So, so here's the natural question. I hope you're asking it. Well, what if the fact that I'm saved by grace alone doesn't resonate with me at all when I'm struggling? Then, dear friend, I would ask you to pray. I would ask you to go to God the same way David did because what you need is your eyes enlightened because you're missing something. Because if you have the light of the glory of the gospel shined upon your eyes, if your eyes are enlightened in the way that God is being pleaded with by David to do here, the joy of your salvation will mean something no matter how dark the day is. It will matter. And it will be an anchor point for your soul. So pray. Ask for God's help. Some of you struggle with the fact that some of you struggle with trusting in God's loving kindness and rejoicing in your salvation because you know there are people that aren't saved. And for some of you, it goes deeper. You think about the implication that some people won't be saved. That's, that's the reality. We know that. There are people that will go all the way rejecting Jesus. So what about the unsaved? How, how is it okay for me to rejoice in my salvation when I know all of these people, whether it be family members, people that I love, people at work, they don't, they don't love the Lord and they, they're given no signs that they're headed that way? How can I be over here rejoicing knowing that the condition they're in? I would, I would encourage you to rejoice in God's desire for them to be saved. You can still trust in God's loving kindness as it pertains to them. I read you... I read you the verse from 2 Peter earlier, right? He said, I'm not, he said, God's not slow as some count slowness. He's patient. He's enduring because he wants all to come to repentance. You're like, well, yeah, that's Peter. I don't know about that. Okay. Who wrote 1 Timothy? Your boy Paul. 1 Timothy 2.4. Talking about God who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I, so, I know for some of you, that sticks a big, fat stick in the spokes of your theological bike, and you're having a hard time like, oh, I don't know what that means. Listen to me. Just chill out for a minute and, and, and listen to what I'm saying to you. Rejoicing in God's salvific purpose in the earth is right for us. And you need to make your system of theology fit the fact that both Paul and Peter have said that God's desire is for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, I, if I took an hour, I could probably come close to trying to wrap that in a nice bow for you. But most of us would be glazed over. And, and, and at the end of the day, I don't know that it's that helpful. Here's what you need to walk away with. Here's your take-home principle. God desires all men to be saved. And so I know some of you right now got people that you love desperately and you're having a hard time trusting in God's loving kindness and character because they're not serving the Lord or, and it doesn't look like they may ever. God's desire is for them to be saved, and he's working there too. I can't guarantee you they will be. I can't guarantee you they won't continue to reject the call of the gospel. But here's what I promise you. We can trace God's heart in the matter. I know that God cares more than you do about that person. And so you don't need to feel guilty rejoicing in your salvation. And we can trust in God's loving kindness the same way David did in the midst of this incredible challenge. Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord. I'm going to say this quickly. I think there is real value in the midst of a dark time uh, for you to worship the Lord in song, right? All of our life is worship, and I'm, I'm one of the biggest advocates of that idea you'll ever find. However, there is something real and valuable to you having songs that you can go to in the midst of time of trial and difficulty that when you sing those to the Lord, there's, God has, there's, there's something powerful in music. And I don't know, I can't explain it. And if somebody says they can't explain it, I'd be a little leery. But here's what I know. Saul used to be tormented with demons, man, and David would roll up in there with a harp and they would leave. So, you know, whatever. We can figure that out later. I'm just, I'm just submitting to you that part of David working out, Lord, I've trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. That's part of 
as he's pouring out, how am I coming up out of this place where I'm struggling to believe that God's really for me, that he loves me, that he's working on me, that he's working in the situation that I'm struggling with? Well, I'm going to trust his loving kindness. I'm going to rejoice in my salvation. The other thing I'm going to do, I'm going to sing to him. I don't have a big theological treatise on why. I'm just, tell, I'm just giving that to you. You can do with it what you want. I'm telling you it's true for me. There's a few songs that when I'm struggling, I'm struggling to rejoice in God's loving kindness and his salvation. And, and it's, I, I, I'm, I'm assaulted from all sides. There's, there's a few songs I can go to. And um, I normally get alone to sing them. So I don't subject other people to it. But I'm, I'm glad that God doesn't care because I'm making a joyful noise. There's one that we sing here. It's, it talks about that uh, there's no one higher, no one greater, and no one like our God. And I mean, sometimes when there's like a dizzying amount of pressure coming in, like I, I, I will just sing that. I've, I've, I've sang that to my kids since they were little babies. And, and so sometimes I'll take them on a walk, and I, if I start singing it, they'll start singing it. And it helps. I'm just telling you, it helps. There's something to it. Praise God for that. Last thing he says. Uh, he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Um, some of us do a terrible job at remembering the fact that God has dealt bountifully with us. Some of us need to do a better job writing down the times that God has answered prayer. Writing down the times that he spoke to us and you know for a fact it was him answering. Um, maybe if Some of you have a great memory for that and, and you're, just, you're wired that way. Praise God. If you tend to forget, I would commit to you, uh, and I would commend to you this idea that you, you need to have somewhere set aside where when God answers prayer, when God shows up in undeniable ways, that you write that down because that's going to matter the next battle you come in. Because the next time Satan's trying to tell you God's not here, God doesn't care, God doesn't hear you, la da 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 you can open that up and remind yourself, well, he cared about me here, he heard me here, he answered me here, he delivered me here, he came through here. Not sure what's changed. And then you can sing a song. It'll be awesome. The truth is, friend, he has dealt bountifully with us. Every person that inhales and exhales and was within the sound of my voice, God has dealt bountifully with them. The fact that Christ went to the cross and has provided the possibility for us to, by faith alone, come into relationship with God, he's dealt bountifully with us. There's reason for every person, no matter their station in life, their level of difficulty or comfort, he has dealt bountifully with all of us. We just got to remember. May we be a people who are unafraid of being honest. May we also be a people who have our eyes enlightened to the truth that we need the Holy Spirit's help to see things as they really are. And may we be a people who can rejoice, especially in the midst of struggle, because our God has dealt bountifully with us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Oh God, we thank you for Psalm 13. We thank you, Lord, for what it shows us about us, what it shows us about you, <laughs> the great comfort that comes in realizing that you're not looking to strike us down because we're struggling. That you invite us, Lord, to speak openly and honestly. But also, Lord, even as we speak about how it is, it seems to us, Lord, sometimes that's what it takes for us to realize really what we need is help from you. We need our eyes enlightened. It's not that you've moved far away. It's not that you haven't been faithful to your promises. Sometimes it's just that we can't see. God, thank you that you're then faithful and merciful to answer those prayers, that you will come and deliver us. Lord, even when it's times that, that our issues are self-caused, your mercy is, it goes so far and so deep. Thank you for that. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that though we have an enemy that is intent upon our destruction, though we have an enemy that is working every angle to get us to hate each other, to destroy ourselves, and then he's standing on the side laughing. I thank you, even though whatever level of power he has to accomplish that, I thank you, God, that your power is infinitely greater. I thank you there's no contest. I thank you there's nothing like a yin-yang. And I thank you, Lord, that ultimately in the end, we already know how this goes, every single one, every person, every spirit, Every principality or power that sets itself up against you, that tries to resist you, ends up becoming your footstool. 
I thank you, O God, you will stand upon the neck of every enemy that has come against you or your people. Thank you, God, that we don't have just ultimate judgment to rest in, but I thank you even here in the now, you're fighting on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, you're helping us. You're empowering us by your spirit, not to believe the lies that would cause us to fight for the enemy, but I thank you, Lord, that you're uh, continually pouring into us by the power of your spirit the truth that we need to trust you, to trust your loving kindness, to trust your timeline, to be patient. Lord, we plead with you that by the power of your Spirit, you would make us more patient. Not just in trusting your timing, but God, with people, with everything. We are an impatient people. And God, it's not just the destruction that causes in our life that we care about right now. We care about the fact that our impatience oftentimes hurts our ability to effectively reflect the glory of the gospel to this world. So Lord, we confess and repent of every sin that holds us back from fulfilling our duty as ambassadors of the beautiful gospel. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be perfect to be gospel carriers, that even when we fall and when we fail, the fact that we get to walk in repentance and and people get to see grace lived out in our lives is even a part of how we show them the wonder of your good character. Lord, we worship you and we worship you alone. We love you. Thank you that you loved us first. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.